Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to the Team Success Podcast. Last time I talked about the importance of selling backstage, taking your fabulous communication skills that you use with clients and customers, and in fact, looking at your audience backstage, your team, in exactly the same way. Well, that leads directly to delegation, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Steps and ways of thinking to have really effective delegation, because all of us delegate. We communicate with other team members, especially if we're owners or leaders in the organization. And even if we're not, we have to work really, really well with other people. But delegation often goes wrong. We don't delegate enough sometimes, and then when we do, it's not always effective. So here are some ways of thinking about things and some strategies, some little formula for you, practical steps about what to do to have effective delegation. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about what can stop us from delegating. And there's really a couple of key things. Number one is the mindset that I can do it better myself. We call this being a rugged individual. And I used to think that this was a characteristic just of owners of companies. Oh, I was so wrong. <laughs> Some of the team members I work with actually should have had their picture next to the description in the dictionary or in the encyclopedia. They were the poster children for being rugged individualists. And what's interesting is in our own area of capability and interest and passion, we are the best person to do that. But guess what? That circle is actually fairly narrow of things that we should be doing and that we're best at doing. When we go outside of that and we keep doing more and more and more, we reach the limits of diminishing returns. We put in more and more time and effort. And after all, time is finite. We all have the same amount, 24 hours in a day. And when we reach that limit, there's only so much we can do. So we have to be able to go beyond our own thinking. And by the way, a lot of us are trained that we can do it better ourselves. And if we can't, we just apply our intellect, we apply our will, and we just get better. Well, I want to suggest that there's a better way. When you focus on what you love to do and are best at, and then you really develop the communication skills and delegation skills to partner up with people who love to do everything you don't, your productivity, your impact, frankly, your scalability goes up dramatically. One of the concepts we talk about at Strategic Coach a lot is growing 10 times. And if you think about that, you cannot grow 10 times by yourself. By definition, you have to be able to work with other people and engage other people in your vision and work with other people and their talents to be able to get that done. So rugged individualism really is a way of staying small, and that can happen within your role in a company. It can happen within the company itself. It stays small if everyone in there is simply a rugged individualist and insists on that they can do it better themselves. The motto needs to be, the perspective shift needs to be, we can do it better together. And that's one of the things I've really found is the more I get very clear and specific about the things I love to do and I'm passionate about, like talking to you, the more narrowly I focus, the easier it becomes, the faster I get it done, the less stress is involved, and the more I partner up with people who do all of the multitude of things I can't or frankly should not do because when I do them, bad things happen, then it moves much faster. We think often that involving other people will slow things down. It doesn't it actually really speeds things up. So that whole ability to shift to we can do it better together, that all of a sudden opens up the door, first of all, to get out of your own ego and into what we call unique ability teamwork. But to be able to do that well, first of all, you really have to appreciate that other people have great and successful talents that when partnered with yours can make the entire picture bigger and better and brighter and make your future bigger and brighter and better. So really coming from the context that you have one skill to add, but so does everybody else, 
That is absolutely vital. If you don't have that perspective, delegation almost always will go wrong. Why? Because you're not appreciating, you're not giving value to other people's talents. So I think really that mindset is really important. Now, for what we call unique ability teamwork to really actually work, (laughs) that's the work part of teamwork, you need a couple things to be true. You need to be really clear on the results. If you're not clear on what it looks like when it's done and done well for yourself, you certainly cannot communicate it to other people. So really being aware of what the result is, being able to paint that picture, allow other people to help color it in as well, make sure you've got the borders around it, that is really important. And then sometimes it's really important to be very clear on the process. What are the necessary steps? I know for me that I know a few of the steps. A lot of my team members are much, much better at coming up with the specific detailed steps than I am, so I actually usually lean on them for that. But I can be aware that this, this, and this absolutely needs to happen. And then they're like, great, and guess what? 15 other things also need to happen to make this work. I'm like, great, I trust you on that. Clear communication, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And then what's important to delegation is that you, again, are doing what you're best at and not dabbling in areas that you shouldn't. I want you to think about one circumstance where you did something where you thought you had to do it, but you had absolutely no passion, interest, or skill. Well, first of all, you probably procrastinated as long as possible. So what originally was a task goes a little bit longer to be kind of a mess, and then all of a sudden turns into a crisis because you put it off so long. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. My hand's up. So that's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is when you do do it, it takes you a lot longer than someone who really is skilled at it. I know when I try to do certain activities, it takes me forever because, frankly, that chip was not factory installed. (laughs) Let me just put it that way. One of my colleagues can come into my office and look at the same situation or pile of paper or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, boom, they know exactly what to do with it. I love that teamwork. Now, if I thought I could do it better myself and I just took the brute force method and I just powered through good luck with that. I would never actually grow my strengths. I would stay mired in my weaknesses. So this is not my commitment, nor is it most efficient for the company. So the first thing to do for effective delegation is actually to really appreciate your own talents and how important they are, not just your intellect. We're smart people. We can learn a lot of stuff, but what are you compelled to do? Where do you have new insights into things? Where do you get excited? Where does your momentum and energy pull you? That's how you can create the most value. And when you appreciate that about yourself, you can then start to appreciate that about other people. That actually is the first step of delegation is to have that mindset. If you don't, I guarantee anyone you're talking with will not feel valued, will not feel appreciated, will not feel that their contribution is important. So that's why that actually is the very first step towards effective delegation. Now, one of the other things that we've discovered, because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of team leaders, and they don't always do these things, which is why I made the following list. (laughs) So this is experience that I've had before. Number one is to make sure that when you are delegating, you delegate to the right person. One of the things I've learned is I need to delegate to someone who's not exactly like me. I need to delegate to someone who actually has very complementary talents. Now, if I'm being a rugged individual, I think everyone is just like me, only not as good. Hmm. Not a really great perspective to have. 
So delegating to the right person means that you are actually being very conscious and intentional about choosing the person with the right skills, the right capabilities, and frankly, the right engagement level. Are they motivated? Do they care about doing this particular activity? So you really want to base your decision on talent, not convenience, not to the nearest warm body who's just outside your office, because that happens a lot. We call this scattershot delegation, where you just talk to the nearest person, you go, hey, this needs to happen. And then if you're like some people I know, you actually forget to whom you've delegated, and then this idea pops up again later the day or tomorrow, and you ask another random person, and then guess what? Two people are doing it. And then, especially if it's a client that's being called, the client gets called twice and your company does not look like the right hand is talking to the left hand, which it's not (laughs) because of this. So convenience is not the most important thing for delegation. So make sure you base it on talent. Next, as I talked about with clear-cut results, you want to be really specific about the result you're looking for. So this means clearly communicate what it looks like when it's done and done really, really well. I love the analogy of painting a picture. The whole perspective about where are the lines, where are the borders, what are the different colors we need to put in place here. Really create an image of people's mind. I don't care if you're creating a CRM that has these capabilities to collect client data and then make it useful and spit it back out again. Or if you are actually creating a new design product or if you're creating a new marketing brochure or a new phone system, what does it look like when it's done and done well? How can you actually really flesh it out? And it's interesting because I always think I have a fairly clear picture, but every single time I've had a conversation with a team, whomever, about it, I get clear out of that conversation. They'll think of things I haven't thought about. They'll think of efficiencies I didn't even know could exist. I know I always usually have about three or four key features of whatever project it is that are really important to me, and that's it. And other people fill in all the nuances and all the shading. I'm like, oh, this is so much better. We call it collective intelligence at Strategic Coach. I love collective intelligence. I certainly have some intelligence to contribute to that, but I don't have the whole picture. And it's kind of arrogant if I thought that I did. I can have my own picture about my own little tiny little domain, but when it gets into a more complex project, as most impactful things are, then I actually need to really open that up and not just be that rugged individual. Next thing is to really establish the time frame. This is vital. I know for me, I'm a fast-paced person. I do things quickly, unless I don't. I like things to move. I like them to have a sense of urgency behind them. And to my mind, if something takes longer than I think it should, I find a bypass. I find another way to do that. Well, I've learned not everyone else thinks the same way I do. And the other thing I've learned is that some people will persevere way longer than I would And they can invest what I thought might be a 20-minute Google search or a 20-minute phone call with someone. They'll spend weeks. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) I just wasted your time. So part of it is, I mean, A, training your team to ask how long things should take is absolutely vital. But establish a time frame. I'm really clear. If this takes longer than a couple hours, I don't think it's worthwhile continuing. See what we can dig out or find in that time frame, and then we'll decide how to proceed. And making sure that you respect that and that other people do too is really important. So setting the realistic time frame, the date or the time at which the project or action needs to be completed. And I'm a huge fan of shorter actions, smaller actions and shorter time frames. If you want to keep things moving, don't set a month-long target. Say, okay, what can we get done by next Wednesday? That actually creates small actions that build momentum. I think that's a much more powerful way to get the result. 
And the second last step to really effective delegation is to really be clear about the team's level of authority. You want to determine that and communicate that to them. How much authority and leeway do they actually have? Can they spend money? Can they make decisions? At which point will you go, yes, you can keep doing this, or no, you won't? At what point will you get upset? (laughs) It's often a really good way to measure that. I love some of the hospitality examples I've heard of where if it's a Ritz-Carlton in the Four Seasons, everyone from the housekeeping staff on up has a budget. Disney cast members have a budget for what they can do to go and make someone really happy and to create that experience for someone. If it's replacing a teddy bear or fixing something or giving someone a gift certificate because something went wrong in their experience, that's huge. You're actually empowering your team then to use their own best judgment. You're encouraging best judgment, by the way, when you're doing this. You're not handing people cash to spend frivolously. What you're doing is you are actually empowering people to use their own best judgment, and you celebrate when that's been done really, really well. So let people know how much authority they have. Now, one little point about this that I found to be really important. When it's something you've done before, or it's a known track that people can run on, it's something your company's done before, it's a result you've worked on before, It can be really easy to say, okay, just do this. Make sure this result happens. Now, it's really challenging to do that when you've never done it before yourself. So I know that I work with certainly the key principles in our company. And lots of times I have a ton of authority, a ton of leeway. Whatever I do with it is fine. Full delegation. Other times when it's so brand new, no one knows what they're doing yet, we're back to taking baby steps. Now, again, if my ego was in the way, I'd be like, how come I don't have full authority? How come I can't just do what I want? Have I been demoted? That thinking goes through people's heads a lot, by the way. It's like, no, no one just knows what they're doing yet. It would be pointless to delegate the whole thing because we don't even know what it's supposed to look like yet. So be really articulate with other people, especially if this is a new thing. You're like, you know what? I'm still feeling my way. I'm still learning. I haven't made a decision yet about what the final result looks like. So let people know how much authority they have and how new it is for you or how sophisticated it is for you in terms of how well you know that end result. That is a very important distinction. And the last thing is to track progress and be available. If I hear a frustration from team members all the time, is that the person didn't delegate, they abdicated. They just said, here. Or they did what we call a drive-by delegation. They just threw it at the person (laughs) and ran. (laughs) Maybe or maybe without a sticky note on it. So let people know what kind of feedback you want. Do you want a dashboard? How often do you want to hear about it? How much detail do you need? Please don't micromanage. I hope you know that that doesn't really work. But let people know that open communication and closing that communication loop for you is really important. And I like to know when things are done. Now, there are certain activities in my world, particularly administrative, that whatever someone else does with it will be much better than what I do with it. But if it has to do with a client, I always want to know, were they happy? Did it get taken care of? What was the final solution? I never let that go because that is what is absolutely most important to me. Because that relationship to me is absolutely paramount about really making sure that that client has the absolute best first-class experience they possibly can. So I want to make sure and I want to know what happens. I don't want to be in the dark about that. So everyone that works with me knows that. And I'll say, please close that loop for me so I know. And I'm also trying to be available. Now, I travel a lot. So that means texting. That means email. That means not blowing people off. But that way, I can say, if someone gets stuck and say, oh, we'll try this or call so-and-so. So I can help problem solve. I've learned that I'm really good at the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's it. One step at the beginning, one step in the middle, one step at the end. All the other interim steps, for example, if the process has 12 steps, I should be involved at 1, 6, and 12. That's it. 
Other people are much better at knitting everything else together. But I'm really useful in that middle step to help problem solve. Sometimes projects get off track. They reach breakdowns. They get roadblocks. And I'm really good at actually coming up with alternatives. I may come up with five ideas, only one of which is actually practical. I don't actually need to know which one I've learned. But that can help the team get going again to help everyone get to that end result. Being available for that means that you're delegating and staying in communication. You don't have to micromanage the whole thing, but you can help keep it on track. So let people know what kind of a project it is, whether or not it's actually one that needs your regular check-ins pretty frequently, or if it's something that they have full authority with, or if it's like me, you know, something where you just need to know the end result and what happened and the person was happy or not. So just to reiterate those five things, delegate to the right person, specify the result that you want, be really clear about that, establish the time frame. Is this two hours or two weeks? <laughs> Let people know how long they need to invest in that. Determine the team's level of authority and responsibility. And finally, track progress and be available. If you do these five things, you will dramatically enhance and improve and take your delegation to the next level. And I have to tell you, as a team leader, as someone who is responsible for helping to grow the company and make sure that your team is well taken care of, team members really appreciate when you do delegate this way. These are the questions they have. This is what they need to know in order to be successful. This is actually how you're protecting and taking care of your team. So doing these five things can really make a massive difference to your team being able to take fast, immediate action to make sure your results are happening when and the way that you want them to. So I hope you've really enjoyed this conversation about delegation and got a few tips or enhancements for your own delegation skills and capabilities. And I just want to say how much I appreciate the fact that you are someone who in a company is willing to immerse yourself in this conversation. Not everyone is a good delegator. Not everyone is willing to increase and improve their delegation skills. So the fact that you're a learner and you're going to take your own skills to the next level makes everyone's teamwork and experience of working with you that much better. So again, thanks for listening. And as always, here's to your team's success.